0: In 1963, Martin Luther King Jr. stood before a crowd of 250,000 people live there at the Lincoln Memorial on what is known as the March on Washington, and he gave and delivered what would be deemed one of history's greatest speeches, if not the greatest ever. He said these words, I have, wow, that was Not, let's try again. I have a dream. Oh, thank goodness. I thought I was the only one that heard about it. I have a dream. Millions would also watch because the speech was televised. And he called upon his religious roots, if you didn't know that. And he would use many rhetorical traditions that were found in sermons. In fact, in that day and time, primarily... It was found behind the pulpits of what we would know as black churches. Where men would stand and they would preach with power and authority. And so he stood and he used those same traditions. And it was so moving and so powerful. That it was one of the dominoes that compelled the federal government to begin to make changes. Because the hearts of individuals that watched and listened and heard about the dream of this man. They begin to change their perspective based on his conveying of a dream. A dream can be a powerful thing that changes the the horizon of history. And so today, I deliver my title to you. And that is, History Belongs to the Dreamers. History belongs to the dreamers. Which leads us to our opening text here of one man who would dream. And if I asked you to guess who I was going to preach about today, you'd probably have a very difficult time. Because what we find in Scripture, are there were a lot of people that, uh, that God gave dreams to. But I want to take you to one that maybe is overlooked at times, or at least one that wouldn't be uh, put as a part of the patriarchy of faith. His name is Zechariah. Zechariah in the New Testament in Luke chapter 1 verse 11, the Bible says that he was there uh, in the Holy of Holies. And as he was doing that priestly duty and responsibility that he was to do, God gave him a dream or a vision. And the Bible says in verse 11, And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. Fear fell upon him. Upon him. But watch what happened. The angel of the Lord said to him, Fear not, Zechariah, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth, she shall bear a son, and you shall call his name John. Now, if you don't know, this is the John that we would call John the Baptist. And and furthermore, in this dream or this vision that Zacharias had, this is what we see happens. He says, and thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall neither drink wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall turn to the Lord their God. Because of his ministry, and he shall go before him in spirit and the power of Elias or Elijah the prophet to turn their hearts of the fathers to children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make way the ready, ready the way prepared for the Lord. Now Zacharias had such a hard time believing this that the scripture says he looked and his immediate response to this big dream. That God had placed and given him he said how can this be for I am old in age an old man you see he and his wife Elizabeth had been praying for a son or a child for many many years and now when the Lord finally decides to respond it seems as if it's too late and so he responds with doubt you see, sometimes the dream that God places within us is so great and seems so out of our control that the first thing that happens when we hear it or when we see it is we doubt it. We say, that's too much. There's no way it can be that. I am old. I am barren. There's no chance that that could happen through me. Why is it that Zachariah would doubt? Well, maybe it is because in Luke 1, 13 through 17, this is the promise. Many shall rejoice at his birth. My son? Wow, that's a pretty big deal. Okay, I can get with that. He shall be great in the sight of God. He will be separated and full of the Holy Ghost, even from the time that he is in his mother's womb. So Zechariah now is saying, man, that seems, <laughs> that seems pretty intense. Listen, I've got a son. He's pretty awesome. That joker didn't get the Holy Ghost in the womb, I'll tell you that. Got filled. It wasn't the Holy Ghost, man. He came out crying, kicking, and angry. He's still a fighter. Y'all pray for him. He's the Holy Ghost. Many will turn to God through his ministry. Hey, Jared, could you check on this? This thing keeps popping on me, okay? Somebody say, good job, Jared. Let's give him a hand of appreciation here. We only notice the sound guy when something goes wrong. Amen? So, thanks, Jared. I appreciate you. Many will turn to God because of him. He will be a prophet. He will bring restoration to Israel. Zechariah is saying, listen, it would have been one thing if you told me that he was going to be great and powerful. It would have been one thing if you told me that we were just going to have a child. But the fact that you are telling me he is going to be someone who changes history The course of history as we know it, and that 400 years of prophetic silence are essentially going to be broken through my son, that's difficult to believe. And you know what's funny? This is where his doubt stemmed from. He didn't say, well, God, I don't think you can do it. At least that's not what he initially spoke or what actually came out of his mouth. Where was his doubt founded? He said, God, I am old. I'm the problem. I'm the one who can't produce the miracle that you are wanting to produce. And oftentimes when God gives us a dream, what we do is we cloak our doubt in God by blaming ourselves. As if those two things are not synonymous. Because when you doubt whether or not God can do it through you, you doubt whether or not God can do it at all. Come on. That is the truth. There is no differentiation between self-doubt and God-doubt if he's wanting to use you to facilitate the miracle. Now let me pause for a second and tell you why I started with Zechariah, which would seemingly be uh, a secondary miracle or a secondary character. I think you know where, uh, where I stand when it comes to John the Baptist. John the Baptist is one of the greatest depictions that we have of the modern-day church. John was the forerunner of the gospel. John was the one who stood in the wilderness with an uncomfortable vesture and an uncomfortable uh, loincloth that was made of camel hair and belt and leather strap and eating locusts and honey, this man was not attractive to the culture in which he was situated. In many ways, what we see is the depiction of the truth-preaching church. Despite cultural pressure, despite the fact that some would say we don't want to hear the message, when God gives a word of prophecy to a church, it can be something that changes culture forever. We've watched this happen throughout history again and again. And any church, and I don't want to use this, I'm using church generally, not just local church, not just denomination, but I'm talking about spirit-filled believers. Whether it be Azusa Street or the first church in the book of Acts. Look and see in history that any church that was able to make the difference that God called them to make was a church that was uncomfortable in their society and culture. They were not a church that mixed and mingled cultural ideals and cultural uh, maybe maybe rhetoric and said, well, we're going to mesh these together and that's really what's going to bring people in. No, like John the Baptist, they stand in the wilderness and the Bible says that they deliver and ...a message that despite being contrary to the religious system... ...despite making government officials uncomfortable... ...despite being a message that looks like it's going to rub all the wrong people in the wrong way... ...somehow it becomes effective and powerful... ...because the Bible says of John that they would leave Jerusalem... ...the comfort of the city and they would go and walk towards him... ...and hear this uncomfortable message of repentance... ...and there in that day and time many thousands of lives would be changed but ultimately John would say these words he says there is one that comes after me who I am not even worthy to unloose the sandals on his feet what does that mean he was saying Jesus the Messiah is on the way this isn't about John's ministry this isn't about a church or a church name or a pastor or a pastor's ministry this is bigger than any one of us the dream that God has given us is all about Jesus it's all about the Savior it's all about the one who can change lives forever so because we know who it's about it's not selfish it's not prideful it's not arrogant to look at our church and say God okay Here's what we believe, Luke 13 through 17. Instead of talking about John the Baptist, let's dream big about what God wants to do through Stello Church. Many shall rejoice at the birth of this local church. Why? Because there's people that need to hear the gospel and if they don't have a church, if they don't have a preacher, the Bible asks, how shall they hear if there's not a preacher to deliver? Can I just tell you, many will rejoice. There's families here today that you've looked and you've said, I'm so thankful that God sent stello church into my community i don't know where we would be without the light of god shining through the local church listen to me it's not arrogant it's accepting the dream that god has placed within the hearts of this church that many would rejoice let's keep moving we will be great in the sight of god i know this is making people uncomfortable you're saying the church is going to, I just think the church is more humble than that. Can I just rewind one more time and tell you, this is not about John the Baptist. This is not about Zechariah. This is not about any ministry. This is not about lifting up somebody's name. That's not what this is about. This is about seeing cultural change. This is about watching the prophetic voice of God be dispersed in a time where it is silent. And can I just stop for a moment and tell you that we are living in a day where Christianity has become mediocre at best. mean, that's a really powerful statement or at least a very bold statement. Look at the majority of our statistics and research about the church. We've lost conviction as a whole. We have the same divorce rate as those that are unbelievers. We have oftentimes, in certain areas, an even higher likelihood of things like racism to be in the church. That's not life change. That's not a John the Baptist message. That's not a message of repentance. No, a prophetic word from a church is enough to change the community in which they are situated. And I'm telling you, Stello Church, the dream that God has placed within this local body is bigger than the few that are here today. God has something great for us. And so I'm asking you, would you dream with me again? Would you believe again that God has something powerful and awesome for us? Something Bigger than what we have seen to this point. He's not finished yet. God's not finished with us yet. There's about to be things that we've been waiting on. I'm telling you, I can feel it in the presence of God today. We're going to watch the addicted and the broken walk through the doors. We're going to watch as God changes families forever. We're going to watch as many more are added to the church. Why? Because, like John. We know that there's prophecy on us. We know what the X factor of Stello Church is. It's not social media. It's not great music. It's not personality. It's certainly not the preaching. All of that's fine and good. And I'm thankful for it. We'll use those as conduits that that end up causing what really it's all about to flow through to point to. The X factor to Stello Church is this word right here. We're a word church. This church, there is no freedom outside of truth and I'm telling you that if you will stand like John the Baptist even when it's uncomfortable and say listen there's a prophetic unction upon me right now and I have to declare what thus saith the word of God and the word of God says to the people repent walk away from where you're at but you know what happens in turn is yes people they confront their sin they see where they're at but by the time they get out of the water there's another message that says this I merely baptized you with water but there is one that comes after me and He's going to baptize you with fire. The reason we are who we are is because we know who He is. This is all about Jesus. I'm just telling you I can't get it out of my spirit. I can't shake it. I know you say you've been talking about it for a few weeks and I'm going to continue to talk about what I feel in the presence of God and that is that something is changing and moving in this church right now. And I just I have a vision, I have a dream. I feel like Zechariah, I feel like I feel like I've stood in the presence of God. And the dream that I feel In the presence of God is not one that lifts any of us up on pedestals or causes us to have pats on the back or gives us some sort of reputation. No, the dream that I can feel in the presence of God is those that are hurting and broken and halt and lame, leaving their brokenness and saying, God, I need more. I need you to move in my life. The Bible says that John the Baptist stood and as he began to deliver the prophetic word of God, like we do as a church, separated, full of the Holy Ghost. Prophetic word, a word of salvation, a word that restores generations. That's what this word of God does. That it was not the religious that were impressed. Come on, the, re- the religious will never be impressed by the dream that God has placed in our hearts. That includes those within the denomination at times and those outside of what we would call our denomination. Some will doubt. Some will doubt the dream. Some will look and say, I don't know. I don't see it. I'm not sure it's there. And they'll be able to point at all of the vulnerabilities and make some up. And if you don't think we see our own vulnerabilities, and if you don't think we feel like Zechariah when we hear the dream, And our first instinct is to go, I don't know about us. I don't know if we're going to be that church. I'm not sure if Stella's really cut out for that. You listen to me. I understand that. If anybody understands it in a deep way, it is the man that stands behind this pulpit on a near weekly basis and realizes, God, I don't have enough skill. I don't have enough charisma. I don't have enough talent. And you know what? I'm so thankful for that. Because if I did have all of enough of those things, then I might, I might get to a place where I actually try to take the credit for what God is doing. But the great thing is God had to get Zachariah to a point where he was so old and stricken in years that the only way that he would have a child is if God himself gave him the dream and the promise. And so God is looking and he's saying, Stello, you don't have enough resources. You're not big enough. You're not great enough. But if you're going to do what I've called you to do, and if you're going to be the church that I've called you to be, and if the dream is going to be fulfilled through you, once it does happen or as it is happening, you're going to look and you're going to know who to give credit to. Because the dream that God has placed within Stello Church is so big and so great that only God himself could deliver it. I feel that in the Holy Ghost. So let us not doubt God's dream with a false humility that points back at us. That's false humility. But also we can look at other characters in the Old Testament, we'll start, that had dreams as well. One that was equally prideful to Zacharias, but not in a false humility way, in a straight, arrogant way, was that young man named Joseph. Not the one of the New Testament, we'll get to him, but the one in the Old Testament. The one who had 12 brothers, who had a coat of many colors. The Bible says there in Genesis 37, 6 through 11, if you have it, let's throw it on the screen. We'll read together. And he said unto them, this is what Joseph said, Here, I pray you, this dream which I have dreamed. (laughs) Let's just stop right there. Oh, man, spoken like a young, arrogant man right there. Here, I pray you, this dream which I have dreamed. Now, if he had said to them, like, something in the dream that was like, you guys are going to, you guys are going to be blessed better than the rest. They might would have said, Joseph, keep preaching. But listen to what Joseph's dream was. Here I pray you this dream. And he said unto them, after this, verse 7, Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves stood round about and made, a, which is basically obedience is that word, to my sheaf. They all fell before my sheaf. These, these brothers are like, hold my coat of many colors. I'm about, to, I'm about to kill this guy. Next verse. And his brethren said to him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us? Or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more. Why? For his dreams and for his words. Next verse. And he dreamed yet another dream. And told it to his brethren and said, behold, I have dreamed a dream more. And behold, the sun and the moon and the 11 stars, they were obedient to me again. Now even the heavens are bowing down to this Joseph. And he keeps telling everybody about his dream. Did you notice that they hated him for two reasons? His dream and his words. You can't control your dream, but you can control your, yeah, how you talk about your dream might actually have something to do with the way that people respond to your dream. Mm. Next verse. And he told it to his father and to his brethren, and his father rebuked him. Now, he was the favorite son, so you knew he was doing something wrong now, and said unto him, what is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I send thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee, to the earth? Next verse. And his brother envied him, but his father observed the saying. You see what you've got to understand about Joseph's father, Jacob. Jacob was also a dreamer. In fact, you remember the story of Jacob's ladder, don't you? The Bible says, that there God begins to show him an open heaven. And we know that we see the, the idea of a name change happening, a wrestling happening. All of these dreams are a part of Joseph's lineage. And then you go to uh, Joseph's great-grandfather, Abraham. You may have heard of him. That was just a joke. Abraham was certainly a dreamer. In fact, Abraham took the dream and the vision that God gave him so seriously that the Bible says he left and he went on a journey that would pull him away from his roots of religion and his family. Many believe that Abraham was a a worshipper of false gods prior to hearing this word from the one true God. It caused him to change everything, all based on a dream. Here's what I'm telling you, is that when God gives you a dream, you will respond to it in many different ways. There's going to be a temptation to doubt. There's going to be a temptation to flaunt. There's going to be a temptation to wrestle with God. There's going to be a temptation to do many things with the dream. But listen to me. If you will embrace the dream that God has placed within you, Stello, if we will embrace once again the dream that God has placed within this local church, I'm telling you, it will change individual lives. It'll change maybe some of you. It'll change your financial situation. Others of you, it will change the the members of your family, many of you, man, I feel the Holy Ghost right here. If God gave you a dream that you're going to have children, you may feel like Abraham. You may feel like Zechariah. And you're saying, God, why hasn't it happened yet? We we literally want sons and daughters. I'm not talking metaphorical or figurative. There are, there are families in this place right now that have been praying that God would give them children. Can I just tell you, don't stop dreaming and believing. If God told you that he was going to do that, he is going to do that. But what you do have to believe in is the timing of God. Because you got to go back to Zechariah. Because what you see is if Zechariah and Elizabeth had had John the Baptist too early there would not have been the familial connection to Jesus. And everything has to be in alignment for what purpose? So that it can all point back to Jesus. Everything that God wants to do in Stello Church has to be in alignment and in right timing. Because it's not about us. This dream isn't about me. I can just tell you, your children aren't even about you. Your own children. God has something great for them. He knows when they need to be born. He understands what timing everything needs to be. So let me just tell you, despite the delays, despite what feels like detours, don't stop dreaming. Don't stop believing what God has placed within you shall come to pass. Every word that he has spoken, I I'm going to stand on it because the promises of God are yes and they are amen. I may have seen doubt in my life. I may have seen what felt like detour in my life. But I know that God is as able today as he was the day that he gave me the dream. I feel the Holy Ghost in this room right now. Greatest thing that happened to Zechariah was when he doubted. Gabriel, the angel that was in that room with him, and this is the Devin Acres interpretation. He said, "I'm Gabriel." He didn't give his name until he heard doubt. It was after he heard Zachariah's doubt that he was like, "Does he know who I am? I am Gabriel. I ain't just no. I'm not just a normal angel. I'm an archangel, son." And the Bible says, "Because of your doubt." Your mouth is going to be shut. You're not going to be able to speak. One of the greatest blessings that God can give some of us is to shut our mouths. Because when you're doubting, you know what you need to do? Zip that lip. Stop talking. Isn't it the truth? One of the best responses you can do when you're doubting the dream that God has placed in your heart. And if you think for one second, man, I feel feel like I need to clarify and justify for about two more seconds, and then I'm going to stop doing this. But let me do it one more time. If you think that I'm talking about some blab it and grab it, some sort of prosperity gospel that says that this is, you got a dream in your heart, and it's all about materialism, and you're, listen, God may bless you in financial areas so that you can have certain, uh, certain, power in his kingdom to, to cause things to come to pass. I'm praying that God would bless your finances, bless my fi- all that stuff. But I'm not talking about that 21st century version of this. I'm talking about a dream that's all about Jesus, even if that means that I have to give some things up. We, we talked about that last week when we talked about the rich young ruler. So we know that. So when I talk about the dream that God has given, it may look like my children going on a foreign missions field and me crying a lot of tears. Because can I just say this? John the Baptist certainly wasn't what Zechariah would have thought he should have been. This man was like thinking, you know, we're priests. This is a pretty good way to go about it. John, here's your sweet priestly robe and garment. We take this seriously. This is the will of God. We've always been a part of this tribe. Just go ahead and see how it fits. John's like, how about locusts to eat, honey, and uh, leather straps, camelback hair, on my just, mm, how's that for you? Zachariah's like, not what I had in mind. Because the fulfillment of God's dream in your life doesn't look like what you've ever seen before. Often. And that may even be, I've watched people struggle and they think that they're, they've done something wrong when their children radically obey God because it hurts. Because we've been taught that if we're going to fulfill the dream that God has for us, it's always going to feel good. But it's not. Oftentimes, it hurts. But there's eternal impact in the fulfillment of the dream that God has placed within us. And can I just tell you, there are times that God's dream for us for the is going to make us uncomfortable it's going to get us out of our comfort zones it's going to cause us to live with conviction it's going to cause us to have to pray and to fast and to seek it's not always comfortable it looks like a john the baptist it looks like a church that preaches with conviction but that is the only thing that makes impact and has lasting change and that causes society to be able to take notice and say there's something different about that church so today Stello, when we leave this place and when we meet over at that coffee shop, I want to challenge you to dream. I want to challenge you to get a vision for what God has, even if the dream and the vision that he places within us causes us to feel uncomfortable or causes us to, us to have to step back and say, you know what? That's a big dream. That's a big belief. And my first instinct is to doubt myself. Listen to me. Don't doubt yourself. Because if you start doubting yourself, ultimately, you are doubting what God can do through you. I am not going to doubt anymore what God can do. I refuse to do that. I believe that God can do something great through every single one of us. I believe that God, man, I feel the Holy Ghost here. He's anointed you. He has called you. He has placed something within you. And you know what you need to do? You need to stop looking at the things that are behind you. And you need to start pressing toward the mark and say, God, I know if you can use anything... You can use my life. Come on. I feel the presence of God. When he began to speak to Paul, Paul would look and he'd say, nobody's persecuted the church more than me. Nobody's made more mistakes than I have made. But when he came to Ananias in a vision, a dream, he said, I'm going to take that one that everybody else has written off. In fact, the Bible says that Paul literally, he had to take, I think it was almost 10 years Of just sitting in the church, never being on a missionary journey before the disciples would begin to trust him enough to send him out. And when he was sent out, he was sent out on the secondary missions, the one that nobody else wanted to go on. And guess what? He changed the world. God will take some people that others have written off. God will take some people that others have said there's no way they'll ever have a ministry. God will take the broken. He'll take those that in one time were actually persecuting the church. And he will put such a dream in their heart that they begin to change the world. I'm just telling you, there are world changers in this room right now. We don't need any more than what we have right here to see this community changed. We've got all, let me just tell you, man, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. A fallacy, something that we could fall into that's a misconception, is I'll tell you what, we just need a few more pieces. If God would just send us a few more pieces, stop that. That is not the truth. We've got everybody that we need right here, right now. If you've got an Elizabeth and you've got a Zachariah, you can have a John the Baptist. We've got some people that may have written themselves off in times past and said, Well, I don't know. I'm not sure I've got what it takes. Listen to me. If God can use them, he can use us. Because it's not about us anyway. This is all about Jesus. And so in the name of Jesus, I pray that the dream would be alive in this church. I'm almost finished, but but hear me right now. When I say to you, history belongs to the dreamers, it's literally true. Look at this. Look at the word of God. Look at what we believe in our our Judeo-Christian beliefs. It started with a dreamer. It started with Abraham, who God gave a vision to, and he was willing to go on a journey. History would be changed forever. But then generation after generation, God would give a dream to those patriarchs and matriarchs of the faith that would cause them to have to believe. And then thousands of years, generations after Abraham, God wants to do a new thing that looks different than what anybody has ever seen before. And he comes to someone lowly. He comes to a young woman. A young woman named Mary. And he says, I'm about to fulfill what is the greatest thing that has ever been done in all of history. You've never seen anything like it. He sends an angel and a vision and a dream. It's so great and so amazing that when Mary hears about it, she comes to Joseph she says I'm with child. And Joseph, what does he do? The Bible says there in the book of Matthew, chapter 1, verse 20. That after Mary had told him about this thing, if you've got that, you can throw it on the screen. He thought on these things. <laughs> he pondered, the Bible says. Has God ever spoken to you something so great and so powerful? I don't know if it was in an altar call moment. I don't know if it was through the voice uh, of a a minister, of a prophet, of a family member. Just reading your word early in the morning or whenever it was. Driving down the road. But something hits your spirit that's so strong that you just have to step back and go, Whoa. Really? Me? My life? My life? I can be used by God in that way. you want to use me in that way and you, you there's what you do. It must just be that's just my mind. Now that's just sometimes I get a little I get a little fired up. You start doubting. So Joseph does what is, I believe the smartest thing after he hears what Mary says and he just thinks about it. this opposite from the Old Testament Joseph, who wouldn't stop talking. The New Testament, Joseph, he doubts. Some of of us doubt and then we shout. He doubts and then he shuts up. How do I deal with this, God? What do I do with this dream? Jump to verse 24, if you would. Angel of the Lord appears to him. The Bible says, Joseph being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him to do and he took unto him his wife that's the greatest response that you could have to the dream that God has given you Stella that's the greatest response that we could have to the dream that God has given us we're just going to do what you told us to do we're just going to do what you told us to do We're just going to go, and we're going to reach. We're going to meet after church on April 23rd on a seemingly normal, average Sunday, and we're just going to talk about the dream and the vision that God has placed in our hearts. Here's what I believe. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost here. A generation or two from now, (laughs) when we planted multiple churches, this church has become a multi-generational church and our children and our grandchildren look and they don't remember these days in the hot summer afternoons in the school and they think oh it's just always been this way we've just always had this we're going to look back and we're going to be able to tell them no it's not always been this way but on some seemingly average Sundays Like April 23rd, just like God took a seemingly average young woman and said, I'm going to do something extraordinary and above average in you. He took us and He let us dream and He began to speak to us and what looked like average to everybody else, you give it a few years, it ends up being the thing that changes. God came to Mary, when the angel came to Mary and began to speak to her, you know what her response was. Luke chapter 1, verse 38. And Mary said, Stella, this is what I want our response to be today. Behold, the handmaid, the servant of the Lord. That's who we are. The servants of the Lord. This is what we say. Be it unto me to thy word. Be it unto me according to thy word. That's the prayer that I want to leave this place on today. Be it unto Stello according to your word. It was so great, so unbelievable, so out of the realm of possibility, that Mary, she responded better than Abraham she responded better than Joseph she responded, I'm telling you I believe that her response was the best response to a dream that you could ever see because it put it right back on God man all these other dudes were just dudes leave it to a woman to be able to pin it right back on God she did a full 180 be it unto me according to thy word it's not about me anyway this promise was never predicated upon my ability anyway There was nothing that was ever dependent on our resources anyway. God's about to give a dream. He's about to pour out things that we've been praying for and asking for and believing for. He's not going to do it in self-doubt. He's not going to do it in fear. He's not going to do that. All of those things, we just need to shut our mouths when it comes to that. But what we need to respond with today is we need to say it. Lord, according to your word, be it unto us.